I think the future almost philosophically is thought of as this place we are going towards collectively. And maybe one day we all get there and it doesn't change, which is, mm. is just ludicrous. Yeah, I nonsense. mean, we all experience the present in a different way. We'll always all ex ex experience the future in a different way. And it's, you know, we never get there as such. And also where, whenever we do get somewhere like right now, right now, we can change it. If we really don't like the way that the AI is going, we can change it. It's not outside of our power. I'm not saying it's easy, but there's not much we can't change if we really, really, really wanted to. We're going through something absolutely historic. Technologies across the board are growing exponentially. It's a disruption that's going to completely redefine the way businesses compete. In the next decade, we're going to lose 40% of today's Fortune 500 companies. The exponential growth of computing is continuing. AI is nowhere near its full potential. Whether you like it or not, that the future cannot be stopped by anyone. So welcome back to the Future Tech and Foresight podcast. So as I set up in the very beginning of all this, uh, every episode is going to mostly focus on a different emerging and powerful technology every week. So not only do I think it's important to have a kind of more diverse understanding of what is really coming our way, but of course, due to the kind of exponential nature of our modern technological growth, individuals and organizations today can, I really think, far too easily be blindsided if too much focus is given to a single technology or to a single sector. But this is, I think, only one side of the podcast coin, if you will. The other side of this is trying to answer some questions like, what are we going to do with this knowledge? And how can we shape the future if we have a better idea of what is going on today? So that's why I've brought on my guest today, Richard Watson. He is a futurist speaker, author, and scenario thinker who helps organizations to think further ahead, especially about emerging growth opportunities and risks. So in the episode today, we talk about what is a futurist, how can we best think about the future, and how to overcome our collective sense of future shock. And uh, we also really dive into a detailed megatrends map that Richard put out a while ago as a way of helping to navigate the current and coming disruptions that will impact most of us. So just a little bit about Richard. He has worked with tech and foresight practice at Imperial College London and London Business School and is co-founder, along with philosopher Professor Roger Steer and strategist Nick Turner of Thinking Aloud, a 24-hour retreat for the nonstop noise of working life. Richard is also the author of five best-selling books, including Digital versus Human. He is currently Futurist in Residence at the Entrepreneurship Center at the Judge School at Cambridge University. And if you want to see more of what Richard has produced and has to offer, I highly recommend you check out his website, where not only this um, Megatrends map, but many other documents that he has prepared uh, can be seen. And the website is nowandnext.com. So it was great to have uh, Richard onto the podcast, uh, especially bringing on somebody who is also a futurist and has had a little bit more experience in this industry than me. And I think that the conversation is both very interesting, but also brings about a number of very uh, relevant and poignant uh, talking points that I think many of you will enjoy. So without further ado, I'll bring Richard on. Great. Well, thank you very much, Richard, for coming onto the podcast today. Um, for me, it's great to finally have a 
uh, futurist that doesn't touch on one specific subject, uh, but maybe more a little bit more of a, a broad overview. So uh, it's great to touch on like all of these mega trends and technologies that uh, you and I both have been following, but um, it, just generally, it's great to have you on the podcast. today. No, thank, thanks, Mark. It's taken us a while, but it's good to be here. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe the first kind of question to start off with, uh, you know, I've touched on it on the podcast a number of times before. I think I even had it uh, described in the introduction, but kind of just what is a futurist? Broadly, it's somebody that thinks about the future. I, I would tend to say distant future, although, you know, funny if I was having a a discussion a few years ago with a, a science fiction writer friend of mine called Lavi Tidar, and we, we were saying, you know, what, what is the future for the mm. for the practical purpose of writing? And his answer, which was quite a good one, which is when things start to get weird. And then we sort of looked at each other and we went, hard to imagine that it can get much weirder than it than it currently is. I mean, technically, I've always felt it's not really futurist, it's futurologist. And the reason I say that is you know, futurism was a, was an art movement um, in the early 1900s, although it's really interesting because they're kind of similar. Um, mm. You know, th those futurists were into massively into technology. They're into speed. They were they quite like war. They loathed libraries. They weren't too fond of women. Um, and actually, you could, if you were being naughty, you could draw some parallels with a lot of modern futurists that are obsessively focused on tech and doing things fast and maybe not the women bit so much although there's mm. a bias in, in in a lot of tech um but so yeah i i think it, it's really just sort of thinking about the distant future so it's a it's a little bit more than just extrapolating what's currently going on yeah and um uh, well thanks thanks for the definition for the explanation and what was kind of the first thing that got you interested in thinking about the future thinking about foresight in general uh, Philip, I've never, I've been asked this question a few times, and I, but I've never given you the answer, given the answer I'm going to give you, which is awesome. a long, long time ago, which oh, 20, 25 years ago, probably, I, I met a um, product industrial designer called Richard Seymour from a company called Seymour Powell. And he was, for no reason, he was talking about these Japanese toilets that were sort of measuring your urine and doing mm. all these, other, you know, the, the lid lifts up by itself and, you know, get hot air blown up your ass, all that kind of stuff. And I thought, wow, you know, that's, I've never heard of that. That's amazing. And that that kind of got me going down the path initially. But the the really big thing, which I have mentioned before, um, I met a guy who, I don't know if he, he died literally 10 days ago, called Napier Collins, who, uh, ex-Shell guy, who set up a, the best business I've ever come across, Global Business Network, GBN, in California, English guy. And I met him in a bar in Paris, and we just got talking Um he was the first person that mentioned scenario thinking to me. Uh, so he was he was pretty, pretty influential. Mm, mm, OK, interesting. Um, maybe also another question here is when I've talked to other futurists, there's always such a, a heavy focus on technology, of course. Right. Um, it seems to be the kind of main element of our civilization that transforms things the quickest to the, to the widest scope. Um, but there's also, you know, within these uh, steep categories, there's also other things like um, the economy, uh, society, culture, etc. Um, do you find that most futurists are maybe a little bit too focused on technology simply because it has such a profound impact? Way, uh, is it well way too focused? Way I mean, this focused, is a fundamental yeah. mistake with 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 most bits of futurology. 
is yeah it just looks at tech and i'm not for a minute suggesting that that tech isn't important but you know tech lives within a very complex system yeah. where things interact so first of all you have history i'm you know i'm a fan of going backwards before you go forwards and historians make wonderful futurists because they they tend to see these patterns and deep drivers um you know you've got government and politics and regulation you got you got pricing you know the environment um legal stuff ethical stuff dem- demographics hugely important mm. I mean, there's a problem with tech at the moment because it's being designed by people in their 20s um generally young white blokes middle class blokes who really have no idea what's inside the head of an 85 year old woman i would suggest right um and you know geopolitical stuff you know even even geography and, and geology have have an influence and i think you have to consider all of these different factors right right uh well i think i think that um leads into one of the things that i've been um discussing maybe debating over the last uh, couple of years also is this idea of the future being constructed or whether it is determined right the, there's a i think a large segment of the population even that thinks that oh technology is just going to arrive right it's just going to be there no matter what happens in society it's gonna it's gonna come around and i think that kind of fits within this techno deterministic uh perspective uh, wh- what are your thoughts on i mean maybe you already touched on it a little bit in the previous one but uh what are your thoughts on this kind of constructivist perspective versus the deterministic um idea of the future coming about um i, th- I think it's both Mm. Um, it is predetermined in in some ways. For example, geology ain't changing. Um, geography doesn't change that much. I mean, we do. If you take a long enough perspective, we do move you know boundaries on maps around a fair more than you think actually. But it's it's relatively relatively fixed. I would argue that human nature is fixed. Some people would argue very strongly that it absolutely isn't. But I I, I think. You know, we haven't changed much since we called out, called out of caves. I mean, it reminds me of that E.O. Wilson, the uh, American evolutionary biologist, the ant man who said, if I can remember it, we've got the brains of the Paleolithic, the institutions of the medieval and the technology of the gods. And he wasn't being terribly complimentary, by the way. Um, and then you've got a, a bunch of stuff that um, we can't do anything about. It just sort of, ha- you know, there's nothing I can do about nuclear weapons. You know, I can't uh, I can't in- uninvent them all. I, as an individual, I might help restrain them. Um, but I, I do think that the future is is more constructed than 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 we assume. And I think one of the reasons people are quite anxious at the moment and even even depressed, actually, is mm. is they just see it as that's the future. In fact, I know a guy who was doing a, an essay at university and they were asked to write essays about whether the future was open or closed. And everyone just wrote closed as in we're all doomed. And I, right. I think that is absolutely nonsense. And I don't know how you get out of bed if you genuinely think that. Um, there was a great piece of graffiti um, on the wall of the Sorbonne in Paris in May 68. Um, I've never been able to find a photograph of this, by the way. If any of your people listening to this can find me an original photograph of this, I will send them a book or a bottle of champagne. <laughs> or it broadly said, and it's in French, and my French is appalling, it broadly said, um, the future is the future contains whatever we put into it today or now or something like that mm-hmm. and that's that's the history of human civilization right i mean it's it's individuals seeking to change things and it's you know i think the future almost philosophically is thought of as this place we are going towards collectively and maybe one day we all get there and it doesn't change which mm-hmm. is is just 
ludicrous. No, I nonsense. mean, we all experience the present in a different way. We'll always all ex- ex- experience the future in a different way. And it's, you know, we never get there as such. And also where, whenever we do get somewhere like right now, right now, we can change it. If we really don't like the way that the AI is going, we can change it. It's not outside of our power. I'm not saying it's easy, but there's not much we can't change if we really, really, really wanted to. Yeah. And um, maybe this kind of fits in. We, we might talk about it later on. But, you know, of course, the whole AI buzz that's going on right now with uh, Elon Musk and this um, this uh, paper that was put out to you know put a pause yeah. on the AI uh, increasing past GPT-4, like the level of past GPT-4. So it does sound like there's, of course, little examples of individuals, groups of people trying to change certain things about this perspective of technology. But to me, in my even my day-to-day conversations with people that aren't really paying attention to technology all that much, there's this definite sense that things are just going to happen. Uh, they kind of, I think, feel powerless a lot, maybe because they are so distanced from it. Um, yeah. And then, and then one other term that I want to throw in, which I know that you're you're familiar with, is the sense of future shock. Right? Things are happening so fast all the time. Uh, it's just completely overwhelming, and there's nothing nothing that they can do individually, but also there's almost no way for them to grasp. Yeah. what's happening now and of course what's going to happen in five ten not even 20 years uh in the, in the future yeah i mean funny well it wasn't funny really but i i wrote a chapter in a, a book called aftershock which was future mm. shock i guess 50 years on is that does that maths work yeah 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 um and a month and a half after it came out the pandemic hit and i don't think a single person in the book wrote about wrote about pandemics i mean i should probably explain future shock just in peace you know it is quite an old book and um so it was Alvin and, and and Heidi Toffler. People forget about this. I think 1970 from memory. And it, it's worth reading, actually. I've got a really old copy. It's worth rereading now. And my understanding of it is that the, the general premise is that the perception, and that's such an important word, the perception of too much change over too short a period of time creates a kind of mental instability. Mm-hmm. And I think that is where we are right now. And you, and you do look back and you think, why on earth were people so wound up and crazy and about change back in the early 70s? But, you know, we forget there was a lot going on. We had the birth of terrorism. We had an oil crisis, the birth of a lot of tech that we take for granted these days. There were a lot of geopolitical shifts going on. But, yeah, compared to now, it was, it was relatively calm. And um, mm. I think that there is an awful lot of anxiety around at the moment. And it predates the pandemic and Ukraine and all the rest of it. And I do think genuinely there's just too much going on and people feel they don't, as you said earlier, they don't have control o- over things. There's there's no certainties. There's no sort of anchor points. They've all sort of come, come undone slightly. And it, it varies. I mean, I think that's more true with older people and it, de- it depends on demographics and psychographics. So some people don't feel like that at all, but I think an awful lot of people do. I mean, it's interesting. I think last year, um, anxiety was the children's word of the year. And clearly that's got a lot to do with climate change and the pandemic and, and Ukraine. But it's mm. it's other stuff, too. It's, you know, the pressure of education and, you know, what, what social media is doing and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that's, that's still a very it's probably the most famous futurist book ever written and, and rightly so to some extent. Yeah. Um so would you say that maybe part of a futurist job, maybe not so much on an individual level, but maybe more at a corporation or an organization level, is to help the people in these places, but also the organization, like the culture of itself, become familiar with the idea of future shock and then maybe 
give some scenarios or some ideas to to get out of the sense of future shock? Or is it just that things are so overwhelming now that we just all have to kind of become accustomed to the sense of future shock because it's not going to go away? Well, it could go away. Again, you're 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 doing a linear extrapolation <laughs> by right. maybe too bold. Right. But um I think we are going to have to get get more used to it. I don't I don't see the world getting any simpler or less volatile or less complex anytime soon. Although it is it is entirely possible that we all decide to disconnect at scale and you know localization within yeah. geopolitics. It you know there's too much information flying around, too much opinion, and I think that's putting putting people on edge quite a bit. Um, that there, there are strategies to, to deal with it. I think you, you've got to have an open mind. You've got to be prepared to change it. And you've got to try and be sort of agile and, and stuff. But the, the other thing I think that helps with the anxiety is having a very strong sense of who you are and what you believe in and what you're against. Um, and if you've got that strong sen sense of self as an individual or an organization, you can sort of weather the storm. But if you're not quite sure who you are, you get sort of tossed around. I mean, this, the, the situation was described to me. In fact, we were, we were having a discussion about why nobody's really doing scenario planning at the moment. Well, I mean, they are, but not, not to the scale. It's sort of fallen out of fashion a bit. And I think it's we're all in this sort of boat that's leaking in the in a storm and the mast's broken and we're being tossed around. And you know, I'm sort of at the front, maybe looking with binoculars, saying I've just spotted some land, and everyone's saying, forget that, just help bail the water right, out. Right, we'll right, with that right. later on. Um, so I, I I think um we we do have to have strategies to deal with that. I mean, I think that the dirty little secret from my perspective around futures it's it's not really about the future at all i mean i've i've thought long and hard about you know what i do a lot of sort of um speaking and lecturing around the world yeah, and, and yeah. What, why are they inviting me over um and i think partly i'm something a bit of fun you know and i tell good jokes and i'm sort of you know almost stand up from time to time it's it's just sort of relieves a bit of tension and you know i'm just entertainment um, other times uh, and then most of the time there's always a tiny bit of that but i think most of the time people want a view of where things are going and specifically where are they going and yeah. their kids their family whatever because that's sort of reassuring now if you think about it chances are i'm going to be wrong in quite quite a significant way potentially but that that doesn't seem to concern them as long as somebody's telling them with some confidence that this is happening mm. they seem better um really what it's all about from my perspective and this isn't so much about um speaking although I, I think it's true with speaking but if you start getting into scenario work or something it's an excuse to get people to stop what they're doing temporarily and to think very very deeply about what they're doing and why and where they're going and whether that's where they want to go because i think people are so caught up in the day-to-day -day, putting out fires responding to short-term problems that the ability to sit and just stare out of the window for a few days or a week is is pretty rare and people generally seem to quite like it actually and quite often it's just a question of 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 finding out what the question is as well you know what do you want to know exactly and why do you want to know that and if you knew the answer to that would would you be reassured and and so forth i mean some things you know you can be pretty pretty confident that, that, that that's going to happen other things um not not so much and uh, the scenario mindset i think is another way of becoming less anxious i mean disconnection is something that i i'm doing myself i mean i've done a lot of risk extreme risk work and you know that can mess with your head um, so I, I, I tend not to read daily newspapers. Somebody called this retrospective recent reading recently. So I, I get the New York times and the financial times at the weekend when people have got more time to write and it's more analytical. And I read them a week or two late when I'm in a calmer mindset, they're easier to scan. You can see better connections. Um, but, but going back to the scenario thinking mindset, I mean, you know, 
um, you know, what's what's the one thing we know with absolute certainty about the very distant future that becomes more and more true the further out you go? And it, I think that's putting aside death and taxes, which I know people can sort both of those potentially. Um, you know, it's the fact it's uncertain. And if the future is uncertain, there are multiple futures out there waiting to evolve. So th this idea that there isn't just one future out there, there are, there are several, and we need to sort of deal with that and be be ready for that one versus that one. Um, and that can make you more nervous or it can calm you down. I, I think, generally speaking, it tends to calm you down. Mm. And that it also sounds like that enables people to maybe come uh, come to hold the reins a little bit of their own future, right? If they if they perceive the future yeah. to be this, uh, you know, plethora of possibilities, it's like, oh, well, I can choose this and I can, in some sense, create it either for myself or, you know, for, for my work, for my business, etc., yeah, I mean, that's sort of bordering into stoicism, which I think is all the rage in Silicon Valley at the moment, which is which is great on one level, because, you know, why are you worrying about things you can't control? I can't co I can't control whether or not there's a global financial crash next month, mm -hmm. but so I'm not going to really engage with that too much. I'm just going to worry about what I can influence and change. But on the other hand, if you take that too far, nobody ever does anything. Nobody ever changes anything or gets involved with anything. So you again, it's like most things. You just got to get a healthy balance between those two things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, maybe, maybe we can make it a little bit more tangible now, right? So the, the actually the reason that uh, I initially reached out to you was because I saw your uh, mega trend map that you had, that you had designed, and it looks like a kind of subway uh, system in a city. Um, as, as we talked about before, I'll have it uh, kind of superimposed here on the video. But uh, for people that are interested, it's the link will also be in the show notes. Can you just kind of describe how people should be looking at this because i think it's upon first glance it's it's a little bit overwhelming right there's so many different lines there's so many different intersections uh you know the words are kind of everywhere but uh i'm sure there's some sort of order to the uh, to the chaos yeah there. i mean i should probably explain its history first i was i was writing mm -hmm. um i used to live in australia and i was writing on the kitchen table and my kids are really small with i would know I was, I was writing a word document on global trends which was almost sending me to sleep it was so boring and nothing connected so I got the kids uh, colored pencils out and I started sort of doodling this kind of mind map really that looks a bit like the sort of London underground or the New York subway or something. And um, I, I, this was real, this was 2006 or something. So this is almost predates data visualization infographics, early days. And I shoved it up online and got this amazing reaction. I think partly because it was, it was visual and we've, we've moved into a more of a visual culture. It sort of had a narrative and it was it was quite intriguing. I mean, as you say, it's extraordinarily complex. Although one of the one of the points on the map is too much information, so there's even a little joke there. Um, essentially, you've got coloured lines, which, for example, red is tech. I think society is 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 yellow. You know, you've got economy, you've got transport, you've got education, work, and so on. In the middle, which is kind of where you start, mm. the middle is kind of now. You've got some big blobs, which are the mega trends, and then you go out and you've got some smaller blobs or dots, which are the micro trends, and then you've got some triangles, which are kind of provocation. So the general idea is that the further out you go, the more provocative it gets and the more future it gets. Okay. The way it's misread is people seem to a lot of people say, oh, that's the future. No, 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 no. That is different. Different futures, different routes for travel for consideration. Yeah. Um, and there's even a sort of little bit of small print saying that, you know, these things can always move and change and so on. And it's trying to sort of get towards the interplay of factors a bit. There are some 
I mean, it's 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 quite tongue in cheek because you know you you can't predict the future, right? I mean, you know, you mm-hmm. the aim is to be less wrong, as somebody once very cleverly said. You're never going to be 100 percent right. Um, so it's got lots of little jokes on it. It's got things that are going extinct. It's got some global game changes at the bottom, which were actually frighteningly accurate, given that this was done in late 2016, published in early 2017. Um, and it's it's to provoke conversation and dialogue and debate. It's you know it's it's meant to wind people up to some extent, which I think is the whole point of a provocation is to sort of get a reaction. Um, they're not necessarily serious, but we can have a sort of rich discussion if i say you know, physical money is going to vanish that's gets us into a quite interesting discussion space um and that i've been doing them at least once a year ever since i got hired by imperial college they have a tech foresight practice and they got me in on the back of one of those maps and i did some maps with them we did the future of urban air we did a table of 100 disruptive technologies where we ranked them time against impact um so they they seem to people seem to quite like them i mean i'm running out of ways to to, to visually present information and trends these days or, or provocations. I mean, I've, I've used solar systems, I've used periodic tables, I've used subway maps from around the world. Um, so I may have to stop quite soon, but um, I mean, I quite like doing them. And I, I mean, my dad was a physicist, my mum was an art teacher. So I, I guess that's where they come from. Right, right, right. Um, I, I'm also, so, okay, maybe if I can read out a couple of these things here, mm. because to make it a little bit more tangible for, for the audience, right? So I have uh, some larger, the, the larger dots here. We've got like uncertainty, connectivity, uh, the rise of Africa, um, decline of trust, population growth, right? So there, there's, there's, of course, many others, but given your history and working on this for a while, are there any of those that kind of pop out as, uh, not just the ones that I mentioned, but any of those that seem to be more prominent than yeah. than some of the others now. I mean, um, it's been it's been almost what twenty years or so. Um, I I should explain by the I should explain by the way that a lot of this is, doesn't come out of nowhere. This this is very well researched from from McKinsey, Frost and Sullivan, Ernst and Young, uh, you know, Department of Defense, what have you. Uh, but certain things I felt like decline of trust was lacking. So I, I added those. I mean, yes, I think, you know, as you said right at the beginning, the focus is on tech. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, OK, you can worry yourself to death about AGI or quantum computing. I think the most I think demographics is is the most interesting thing on there, um, partly because it's the most certain. Um, you know, we, we know what the demographics is going to look like in 20 years time because people are they're already alive and they're not going to move very far i mean short of a pandemic that's really lethal or world war total war or something we've got a pretty good idea of what india versus china looks like in 2030 or 2050 um within demographics um you've got the the, the critical one globally is aging yeah um societal aging and we are responding very badly to that um with some exceptions um, I mean, MIT are all over this and a few other people, but um, and that's because most organizations are run by people in their, you know, the boards are in their 50s, 60s. Um, you'll, you'll struggle to find somebody over 40 in a marketing department. Most people that work in tech are in their 20s, 30s. Um, so trying to understand what what is in somebody's head, as I said earlier on, that's 85, that's going shopping. You know, you can't read half the packaging. You can't open half the packaging. There's nowhere to sit down. You've got no teeth, so you can't eat that stuff. You know, whatever. And and then you've got um, declining fertility. So people are not dying like they used to, but they're equally not being born like they that, like they used to. So if you put those those two together, the main I would argue that I don't care whether you are Google DeepMind or 
Walmart, the most important thing you should be worrying about going forward is how to attract and retain human talent. Mm-hmm. Bar anything else, forget AGI. As I said, you know, worry about that. Don't don't ignore it, but keep an eye on it. But but I think the demographic piece is is more interesting and more important. Um, the number of people living alone or in twos rather than fours is is has implications. Um, so that that's a sort of a big one. Um, we know, I mean, everyone knows about global population growth, but you know, the, the key thing to me is it's not it's not how many people there are, it's it's where they are and how they're living. And it, it's the growth of the global middle class is more important than the growth of population. It's people with money and where are they and what are they spending it on? And also bear in mind that by about mid-century, it looks like this could could fall off a cliff in terms of population growth. I mean, it's, it's going into steep reverse yeah. unless, yeah. you know, China suddenly starts having three kids per couple. And, you know, Musk was absolutely bang on about this. We're going to, we are soon going to be facing a shortage of humans, which to my mind, is why we're getting AI automation robotics. I mean, Japan is the fastest aging cu- country on Earth. It's no accident that they're really into their robotics and automation right, because right. there are not enough people to look in Japan to look after the older people. So use robotics. Um, so that's that's a really, really interesting one. Uh, could you... Um, so I, I've, I've looked in this uh, about uh, one or two months ago, I think even before Musk was talking about it. I listened to uh, Peter Zahan, I believe, um, uh, is one of these... Uh, global thinkers. Um, but could you maybe uh, hammer down a little bit on kind of the impacts, the the negative impacts of this decline in uh, in aging or the decline in population, I think, in general? Because I think those, like, there's, sure. there's so many different impacts, but I maybe I don't think when I have conversations with people, they fully understand how uh, disruptful this is actually going to be. There's a great book. I can't remember. There's a woman wrote it, American. I cannot remember what it, what it was called, but it was all about this. Um, well, there's a, there's a number of things. First of all, until now, and it, things may things can always change, but until, up, to, up to this moment, um, population growth, and particularly the number of young people in a population is a critical driver of productivity, number of people in the workforce. So if that's declining, technically you're in trouble. Again, I mean, that's why China's so interested in a lot of this technology, because China, China is aging really fast. Everyone thinks it's kind of Japan or Europe or something, but you know, China is aging so fast. Um, so you get things like productivity impacts. Um, I would argue you get less innovation, or at least the innovation shifts to where the younger people are. So I'm thinking here of Thomas Kuhn's Structure of Scientific Revolutions, that book, um, three drivers of, of shifts in scientific paradigm, which I think apply to innovation generally, are from memory, young people, not me, maybe you, I don't know who you are, you're probably okay, I'm I'm finished. Um, it's cross-fertilizations of disciplines um, and experience, and it's accidents, it's serendipity. So, mm-hmm. okay, so if you focus on that first one, where, where are the younger people in 2050? They sure as hell aren't in Europe. They're not yeah. in in Japan. They're not in Korea. They're not in China. They are broadly in sub-Saharan Africa, hence the rise of Africa on, on the map, with pockets in the Middle East and Southeast Asia and so on. But broadly, it's sub-Saharan Africa. And I forget the I forget the percentage, but the, 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 the number of sort of new births that are going to come out of sub-Saharan Africa in the next couple of decades is, is just phenomenal. So that's a big one. Another one is probably older people are generally more conservative. Um, they are unlikely to be protesting on the streets. They're incapable of fighting wars. Mm. Uh, you know, if you're if you're sort of 70, 80 or 90, your, your biggest worry in, in the morning is probably getting out of bed without falling over, never mind sort of overthrowing the government. 
Um, so that's that's a really, really big one. And then there are implications about the uses of products and services like, you know, poor eyesight, arthritic hands, um, you know, tired knees, knackered knees. Um, but make circling back and making a sort of practical point, I, I find that you know, the younger people entering the workforce and the older people that are either just leaving it or are re-entering it because they've run out of money because obviously the longer you live the more money you need um they're all after the same thing which is around sort of personalization of contracts and conditions and some sort of latitude and freedom around how they work where they work taking time off and all the rest of it so you know impacts on the future of work impacts on the future of retail um we still design we over engineer products we make them too complex possibly because it impresses our engineer friends you know, older people like big buttons and big typefaces and, you know, the, the pandemic um, in the UK, we had this um, whole alert system, track and trace. It only worked on modern smartphones. My parents, both in their early 90s, they don't even own a smartphone. Right, right. right? So how so they couldn't use it. Um, you know, I, I've got an old, old smartphone. Even I was struggling with some of the stuff. So if these are some of the more... I guess we could say like ubiquitous or grand mega trends that are that are going to be impacting the world over the next uh, 25, 30 years or so. Um, we talked a little bit before the recording uh, of some of these kind of uh, smaller, maybe more unique uh, trends or technologies that I think most people aren't aware of. And this is something that I really like to do on the podcast, right? Like I have a list of maybe some 300 technologies, just technologies of things that I wasn't aware of even like last week for, in, for some of them. So are, are there any kind of unique things that uh, you're aware of that you think most people would be like fascinated by, scared of um, that, uh, that you'd like to share? I'm, I mean, as you say, with, with the mega trends, kind of everyone's aware of them more or less. Mm -hmm. Um, they're important, but they're not urgent. So people kind of ignore them. And, and you know, even if you are addressing them, you're just kind of like trimming the sails to make sure the boat's sailing as, as well as as well as it could. The the opportunities and risks lie in these emerging trends, the smaller ones and the and the counter trends and the weak signals. Um, I mean, I'm very interested in digital trust as a sort of subset of decline of trust. It's not on that map because the map's too old, but um, you know, this expected future, the con the the, the, the the official future of Silicon Valley doesn't work if you don't have digital trust. And by digital trust, I mean agreements over privacy, agreement over whose data it is and how it can be used and how stable things are. Am I getting hacked every other week? And, it, you know, without digital trust, that that all, to my mind, it all collapses. So that's an interesting one. Um, it's a boring one, but I think debt is is really interesting to watch. And that's why i'm worried we, we will get another crash not if yeah. i mean that's i would say that to some extent is predetermined historically speaking it's a cycle we don't know when but it's going to happen and the level of debts that's a worry um you've touched on rise of africa i mean if i was 22 years old right now looking you know rather than go west young man or young woman i would i'd be heading to sub-saharan africa i think i think there's the resources the population the, the only problem with africa is is governance i mean it's the, like a lot of these regions like india or something is there's, there's a lot of corruption around which is makes it problematic but there's a phenomenal amount of um of opportunity there um I mean, tech-wise, you know, I'm I'm trying to understand and half succeed in quantum at the moment, um, and I think that's that's definitely a game changer. But I I, it, I don't think it's as close as some people think it is okay. um, in terms of properly functioning proper quantum, you know, as opposed to systems that ape quantum type 
um what's the word um can't can't think of the word um i my favorite thing at the moment is probably um or thing i'm most interested in is brain computer interfaces so we've had this a while so this is putting our headset on or sorry is putting electrodes into somebody's skull mm -hmm. and controlling a car a computer a wheelchair and you know incredibly useful if you've not got control of your arms and, and legs or you can't speak or, or whatever um and i do think that's going to be a thing in in the future um and maybe we just put on a baseball cap and we can start operating the lights by thinking we don't even have to touch anything um so we, you know we've gone from this thing where you have to physically bash machines to get them to work we've now got into the era where we're talking to them and they're talking to us back although ironically we've stopped talking to people a lot of the time yeah, yeah. um so yeah just by sort of thinking about it and that gets you into a pretty dystopian future potentially because you know that's that's the last bastion of privacy mental privacy you know this is very orwellian so you know you can get a letter from the police just by thinking of something you shouldn't let alone saying it or doing or acting mm -hmm. on something um but i think it'll it'll have broad uses in terms of disabilities and and so on so that's i think that's a sort of a, a very interesting one there's a lot of very interesting energy tech um uh there's a startup called thin air which is is taking air out of even the dry water out of even the driest air so in deserts um a bit like the old tech of having a fog curtain to capture the yeah. fog that rolls in over san francisco um i like um um there's some very science fictiony ones uh, i did a, a, a thing with imperial college a table of disruptive technologies and we've got a what we call the ghost technology fringe which is stuff that's straight out of literally straight out of sci-fi yeah, in most yeah. cases so it's stuff that's highly unlikely, but not physically impossible. Um, so, you know, space solar, where we collect solar in space with a bunch of mirrors and we send it back back down to Earth with lasers or um, or I think it's microwaves is the other way of doing it. Um, you know, uh, what else? I don't want to get into space elevators. That's going a bit too far. Um, transparent solar, that's a game changer. Every single window in every building on Earth is a solar panel and it's transparent. Right. Total game changer. Um you know if you've got you know if you if energy becomes that abundant you can make water and if you've got water you can grow food anywhere yeah. pretty much so that's yeah. the, the energy one um the the, the short-term thing i'm very interested in and it could be very transformational is smart contact lenses so i think google have a patent on this they've had it for years actually um rather than these ridiculous glasses that people don't like wearing and although that doesn't seem to stop facebook doing it again with ray-ban um it's just in the contact lens you put them in nobody can see you're wearing them so you've got a heads up display yeah. um obviously hugely useful for uh, law enforcement or, or surgeons or plumbers where you can call up bits of information while you've got your hands stuck on something or on someone um could it have broader appeal yes i think it probably could whether it would be societally acceptable um I don't know, which circles back to the earlier point about not just looking at the tech. I mean, there was nothing wrong with Google Glass. From memory, you right. couldn't do facial recognition with Google Glass, but everyone thought you could. So, you know, and then the thing that killed it really was the phrase glass hole, as far as I was, as far as I can remember it. Um, you know, the human reaction, the psychological reaction to this stuff can and does restrain or or throw things out. I mean, you know. There are technologies we invent that we decide we don't want anymore or yeah. we restrain them very significantly. Um, so just because it's invented doesn't mean it's a dead cert. I mean, it's tricky to put stuff back in a box sometimes. But if you legislate against something, um, you know, we, we can restrain that. I mean, other stuff, I need the table in front of me, really. But, um, oh, I like smart nappies, by the way. That's a good one. They're around. 
Um, by the way, the, the disruptive table is not stuff that might get invented. It's all been invented, more or less. It's a We were talking about ubiquity or commonality. Yeah. The thing that's least impactful and now is smart nappies. So pretty obvious, uh, wet nappy, pooey nappy, you get a text, change the nappy. And everyone thinks babies, but then you circle back to the demographic aging thing. And, yeah. you know, that could be me in 30 years. Distasteful yeah. thought, yeah. but it that's, you know, that's the future to some extent. There's a Japanese nappy company. They sell more nappies now to people over 65 than babies. You know, Wild. now yeah. you might not like that future, but it's yeah. coming. Yeah. Um, unless we get some weird thing where all the older people get knocked out by a pandemic, which we got close to that. Um, I'm trying to think what else is out there. Um Oh, grief. Um, pre precision agriculture is really interesting. Vertical agriculture up to a point. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I guess the general sense here is that there's uh, a lot, there's a ton of these new, interesting, game-changing technologies, but also things that can disrupt certain certain yeah. industries. Um, I, I do, I, I mean, we have a little bit more time here. So I, I want to kind of maybe drill down a little bit on on one of the things that you said. I mean, I could I could have you on here all day and we could talk about this stuff all for the whole day. But uh, I so I have had a couple uh, guests talk about uh, this brain machine interface or this neuro, neurotech. But there was, I would think that there's not sufficient discussion out there about the negative ramifications. So I believe there was just a couple months ago, there was a video that was going slightly viral of organizations being able to use these types of helmets um, or baseball caps, as you were saying, in order to measure brainwave activity and knowing whether you're you're either uh, scrolling Facebook or I guess it would be TikTok nowadays or whether you're actually doing your work. Um, have you have you talked to people that are developing this or organizations that are starting to think about using this in the next, I guess, five years, 10 years or something like that? Not not specifically with um, brain machine interface, brain computer interface, but I've, I've had lots of discussion with AI folks about, mm. you know, the ethics. It's not, it's, you know, we can do just about anything these days. Yeah. The question is, yeah. should we be doing it? And I think this is why we're getting philosophers and ethicists involved in, in some of this tech. I mean, what I, what I think we tend to do is we invent stuff and we, it's a bit like the hype cycle. <laughs> on the hype cycle you know we we constantly overshoot and have to claw it back and and the future isn't some sort of nice lovely little progression it's a series of advances followed by frantic retreats and we get a sort of zigzag pattern pattern going through but i, I think that's going to be increasingly the case about you know is this a good idea in two particular areas um ai and genomics genetics yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah we can do this stuff um, whether it's a good idea. I mean, even at a, at a mundane level, you know, do we want AI disrupting the legal profession? Maybe we do, maybe we don't. And if we decide we don't want that, we might restrain it from a legal point of view. I mean, was it Italy recently has just um, basically outlawed or restrained chat GBT. Um, we could see much more of that stuff going on and whether it's, you know, it's, whether it's doing harm. I mean, if you're being, if you, you know, I was being naughty, I might suggest we, we don't really even need these interfaces because, Meta and Google, and they already know what we think, right? I mean, right, right, they, know what right. we, they know what we think. They know what we're going to do next at some level. Yeah. Um, although, again, that's not that's not sort of destiny necessarily. And we're beginning to see people thinking, "I don't. Oh, I didn't realize they were doing that. Mm. I'm not sure I'm going to use this anymore." You know, and you know, again, look at look at sort of the weak signals and early adopters, or I don't know what the opposite. What's what's the what's the word for the opposite of an early adopter? So people that throw things away first. So like. You know, I know plenty of people in AI that don't own phones. You know, which is which is staggering. Oh, like 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 
almost counter trend individuals. Yeah. I, I don't know the specific term, but uh, something like that. It's kind, it's kind of a weak signal counter trend. Yeah, yeah. it's kind yeah. of somewhere mixed up in that pushbacky. Yeah, yeah, in that yeah. area. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of this stuff is is going to be hopefully. I mean, I hope it's going to get more widely discussed. I mean, we might end up if we if we go into down the route of geoplanetary engineering, where we're doing giant engineering projects to counter climate change. You know, this is the sort of thing which will need that debate as well because of the scale of unintended consequences potentially. Um, and as you know, we a lot of the, most of the problems we've got, the big problems are global problems, and we need broad discussion about how to address things, how to deal with them, how not to deal with them, um, and so on and so forth. Um, sadly, we don't we don't really get enough of that. Um, but I think I think the days of tech just being produced in in a, in a vacuum or in isolation are, are sort of dying. Really, I think there are there are broader considerations to be had, and that that applies to business in general. I think. I mean, I did a two by two scenario set um, early pandemic about the future of globalization, and there were one axis was around um, chaos versus and control of natural systems, primarily climate, but also things like biodiversity, topsoil erosion, and so on. And the other axis was around profit versus principle. And I think we are slowly moving away from, if I can broadly call it the American model, where it is how much money can you make over a shortest period of time? End of. No no worry about broader consequences to a more of a European model, which is a sort of a broader consideration of, of your health of, of your employees, of your local community, the planet, um so again that i think even business even if you're not in tech i think you're gonna you're gonna have to to contend with questions about harm and potential harm and we see this around resources for sure but i think it's going to go a lot further than that i hope it's going to go a lot further yeah yeah i've i've heard and maybe you can correct me if i'm wrong but i've heard that this is also part of this idea of the fifth industrial revolution right so it's not necessarily a new set of technologies a new set of um, disruptive trends and et cetera, but it's more kind of a a reversal on, I guess you could call it this American um, profit-seeking model. And it's more about, you know, focusing on the welfare of the employees, uh, focusing on the welfare of the environment, et cetera. Um, I, I don't think it's a, it's a, like ubiquitous term yet, but it's, but it's, yeah. I don't want to paint it purely as a U.S. thing. I think it originated yeah. in the U.S. I mean, I think, yeah. I think a lot of people now are beginning to just question growth for growth's sake, endless growth, is is problematic on tremendous number of levels and and i think that's coming on onto the agenda agenda more and more these days yeah um, yeah okay interesting um to, to shift gears here a little bit so i know that you've been working with tons of organizations over the last uh decade or, or two decades that you've been doing this for um what is your kind of general sense of the individuals that you're working with, right? So we talked about people that are working in tech, of course, they're aware of all this. Do you get a general sense that most people in most organizations are at least relatively aware of the things that are going on, megatrends, technology, otherwise, or are people so focused on their kind of day-to-day lives, on the work that they have to do, that this is that this is kind of out of I, I out of set out of they, mind. It's a bit like climate change was 20 years ago. They're kind of aware of it. But A, there's a feeling they don't really have to deal with it right now. Mm. And um, B, as you say, they just haven't got time. You know, yeah. they, they are doing three people's jobs right now. They have not got time to sit back and think about something that, that potentially is 20 or 30 years away. Um, but even something as basic as societal aging, which gets a lot of coverage, 
yeah, I don't think that's particularly in, in people's heads. And then if you really sort of push to sort of the edge of things, so, you know, look at surveillance capitalism or something, I think yeah. most people have no idea yeah. what's going on, quite frankly. Yeah. And yeah, they, they 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 just think it's personalized ads. They don't they don't really get where that could go. And they haven't got the back. I mean, they just haven't got the bandwidth, quite frankly. Yeah. Um and also, I mean, bear in mind, um, a lot of this stuff is quite this is this is a disruptive profession. If you start questioning, you know, everything somebody's doing or an organization is doing, you're not terribly popular. I mean, it sort of overlaps with innovation there quite a lot. Because if you if you sort of come up with a new thing that's sort of destroying the current paradigm, you're generally not terribly welcome. Um, but it's but it's useful. I mean, the, I, I think having what's it the um Oh grief! Um, the Israeli Defense Force has has a sort of effectively a head of no. That's if if the troop agrees on something, their job is to disagree to increase the quality of the decision. I think some Japanese companies have have this the sort of head of no idea, and it's yeah, it's just in there, just trying to force better discussion and get better decisions um, coming out. But I, I think people are just consumed at the moment. They're just hanging on with their fingernails in a lot of instances. They haven't yeah. they have not got time for all this stuff. Yeah, that's uh, that's unfortunately my, uh, though significantly uh, lesser experience than yours, but that's generally my experience as well. Just I mean, the, having, the having I've, discussions. I've noted. I mean, you say I think it's probably how long have I been doing this? I've been doing this since almost yeah nine two thousand and it's almost twenty years nineteen yeah. years, yeah. and it's quite fun to to look back at what because I you know writing books you can actually read what you were thinking, <laughs> sure. um, and it it does seem like. <sighs> The things we're worrying about today, we won't be worrying about next year. You will have moved on. And it wasn't the end of the world. We dealt with it. And now we're worried about something else. Um, and I feel that sort of quite quite strongly, actually. And there is even a strategy to just ignore things on the basis they go away. Um, not everything, obviously, but some things. Um, and we get caught up with this. Yeah, we get a lot of firefighting going on, the sort of the detail that doesn't really matter. Um but, uh, but you know, you look at Warren Buffett. You know, he doesn't make very many decisions, but he thinks deeply about them, and he's thinking very long term ahead, and he doesn't change his mind very often. Um, and and I think with tech, you know, you have got to have a view of the future because you're trying to build a world that doesn't yet exist. You are going to get people objecting to what you're trying to do, um, and you just got to keep going anyway. Although I think you do have to ask yourself whether you know this is this is generally a good thing or generally or might have some bad consequences as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, maybe a follow-up uh, conversation with that and also to tie that back into kind of the initial conversation that we had. How relevant is it for this constructivist sense of we're able to change the future? Is it uh, How important is it for kind of the average person working in, in corporations or businesses to be aware of this? Um, if, you know, the Warren Buffetts and the Elon Musks and, you know, the, the tech developers out there are making the real changes, is it really important for the average person to become aware of all these things or is the future just going to come to them and they're going to have to deal with it uh anyways i, I i'm almost going to quote you some marcus aurelius but i can't remember the quote but i think it's along the lines of you know we will we will, we will deal with the, the future with the same weapons of something or others we've dealt with the past or something yeah. um I, I i don't i think the the broader point is the more important one which is like with all the sort of the trends and the mega trends and the micro trends, you know, we will we will we will deal with them. You know, and yeah. I'm, I'm confident we'll deal with them just fine, broadly speaking. 
the bigger point outside of organizations although you know you can't be totally outside an organization but i'm just thinking about sort of people in the, in the street really and families and, and you know couples and whatever um i do think it's it's really important to have the right mindset about this and i think that you know the future i think a lot of people uh, depending on where you are right so i think this is less true somewhere like shanghai than it would be in milwaukee or something but um the future is i think is seen as that sort of the, the giant ball in raiders of the lost ark that's coming towards yeah, yeah, down the yeah. tunnel and you you're basically it's going to flatten you or it's a giant wave and you've either you've either got to sort of duck out under it or you've got to get on top of it and ride it um which is is kind of a negative reactive almost passive mindset actually like the future's coming there's nothing i can do with it oh you know what, what's coming what's coming how am i going to deal with it how am i oh my god oh my god how are we going to respond to agi if it happens or even ai narrow ai um a much more positive mindset is 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 to clearly you've got to think about what's coming because you know to be forearmed is to be before what was it before warned is before yeah. armed um it, it helps you to see things coming and to be to have strategies in your head about how you might deal with things but i think the more the more important thing to do rather than worrying about what might happen and how you might deal with it is to have discussions at a household corporate countrywide global level about well what do we want the future to be like and let's try and create it let's try and build it um, and that that is the history of of entrepreneurs and innovators and engineers forever, really. It's like I've got a vision of doing it a better way. Um, and I think at some level, what what we want around the world is 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 pretty similar, actually. And you know one of the problems we have at the moment is the the future is being invented by, say a bunch of young white guys. and if, if I'm being a little unkind, a lot of whom are on the spectrum, mm. they're inventing a future that suits them. Not it's absolutely fine, but don't impose it on everybody else because it might not fit with them. So I think it's really important that we we create a future or futures that are sort of fair and inclusive and work for everyone. And that I'm talking about ages, I'm talking about genders, I'm talking about cultures, um, and everyone really wants the same thing, which is they they want a sort of safe, fair place for their to grow up in and their, their kids if they happen to grow up in and. You know, not to do too much damage to the environment, you know, leave the world a better place, you know, all that stuff. It's, there are sort of things that we we sort of, I think, can agree on and we can try to move in in that direction. Um, and that's that's a that's a positive thing. And that, but that's not very common at the moment. And there's, there's a lot of people think, you know, with climate change that we're all doomed, which I don't I don't share that at all. I, I, I think that's highly, highly, highly unlikely um so i'm i'm sort of longer term pretty pretty very optimistic actually i think we've got some issues short term without a shadow of a doubt but longer term i'm 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 pretty optimistic and i i struggle to see how you can get out of bed in the morning if you're not optimistic actually it must be quite difficult yeah yeah well that that was going to be my last question for you whether you're optimistic about the future or pessimistic um i think I, short term you know we yeah, we've got yeah. some issues i mean the, yeah. the russia situation and, and china are are deeply worrying we're creating some quite dangerous tech and i'm not just talking about ai in fact i'm not really talking about ai at all i'm i'm thinking more in the, the area of, of genomics yeah. um uh you know geopolitically it's quite unstable um yes climate change and resources but i think they're all they're all pretty solvable 
Um, but I think long term, it's it's I, I would say it's looking pretty bright. I'm funny if I'm writing, I'm being contracted to write a book of, on the future for kids. And the reason we I'm writing it with my science fiction writer friend. The reason we got contracted is it's entirely optimistic. There's no negativity in it. And I think there's a right. real I don't know about adults, but with kids, there's a real thirst for that right now. Yeah. Oh, that, that's very interesting. Um, well, well, Richard, I see that the time's also winding down here. Um, I think that's a really positive message uh, for a lot of the listeners, because I know that in my own conversations, both in and outside of the podcast, there is this, uh, I think it goes beyond future shock, right? It's this, this cloud of doubt and uncertainty and fear about the future, because we are, I think, inundated with a lot of these kind of more negative aspects of um, technological impact. So, so it's, I'm really happy to hear that you're a little bit more hopeful for the future. There, um, I'll have your website uh, nowandnext.com up on the up on the show notes. Is there any other way that uh, that you like or you prefer to be contacted uh, I, by I, people? You get to me th through the website, or I'm on LinkedIn. The other thing that people, your audience in particular, might might want to look at beyond the subway map is is the table of disruptive technologies that was dubbed with Imperial College. That that um, which is mostly serious. There's the odd joke in it um that that's worth a look um yeah linkedin or, or just through the website now next.com happy to answer any questions um individually as well if you want to reach out perfect great well thanks a lot for your time richard uh really interesting things and uh i'll have to have some more dus discussions with some friends around here and roll over some of the ideas that, that uh, you've put forward so thanks again for your time thanks Excellent. for coming onto the podcast and uh we'll keep in touch thanks for having me on mark thanks a lot so, thanks for listening to this week's Future Tech and Foresight podcast. If you like what you've heard, here are a number of ways that you can go out and support the podcast. The best way would be to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or even give a rating on Spotify, which you can find a step-by-step -step explanation for on the futuretechandforesight.com website. Alternatively, feel free to leave a comment either on the episode show notes on the website or the YouTube channel where you can also see video recordings of each of the interviews. And finally, if you are part of an organization that is aware of the disruptive and transformational impact that emerging and future technologies will bring and want to know more, you can get in touch with me to hear about the strategic foresight services I offer and how I can help future-proof your organization and take advantage of the phenomenal opportunities available to survive and thrive in the future. A lot of future shocked people and future shocked institutions in our society are simply overwhelmed. Once there is superintelligence, the fate of humanity may depend on what the superintelligence does. Science fact is catching up to science fiction. The first truly intelligent machine will be the last invention that humanity needs to make. The only scarcity that will exist in the future is that which we decide to create ourselves as humans. Within a 10-year design revolution, we can have all humanity living the highest and living anybody's ever known. Progress is uh, accelerating at an exponential pace and it's going to reach a point where progress is so fast it's going to be a singularity. We are probably one of the last generations of Homo sapiens. Every single headline points to the birth pangs of a type 1 civilization.